little kitty angel. I hate that song. She's so snuggly and cute, and she hates Savannah. I hate her, too. thing we read this week where we talk about the books that we hate to love and love to hate. I'm Caitlin. And I'm an enthusiastic spokesperson, otherwise known as Savannah. And you do seem very enthusiastic today. I'm gonna commit homicide. (laughs) (laughs) And welcome back to our podcast. Disclaimer so no one sues us, just brushing right over murder. (laughs) We don't hate authors and we don't hate books. We actually really enjoy both of them. We enjoy discussing both of them with you. We just like talking about problematic tropes, weird characters, and apparently bird fucking in this Mm -hmm. series. So just prepare yourselves. (laughs) Um, But we do buy a hard copy of the books every week in some format to support the authors and if you are financially able we encourage you to do the same and read along with us since these episodes are not spoiler free we wanted to give you an updated book list um so on the 29th of april we have paranormalcy by kirsten white and on the 13th of may it's paper towns by john green i'm very excited to revisit that book (laughs) all i remember from it is black santa's and uh that sounds like a john green thing to do (laughs) it does sound like a john green thing to do for sure my housekeeping is i'm a little down today because i took a week off of work and today is my last day of days off and i have to go back to work tomorrow and that's a very sad thought to me that's all (laughs) (laughs) that was a downer thanks Welcome to our podcast, everyone. Life sucks. <laughs> Savannah, little ray of sunshine, cheer us up, because I know that you're in a great mood right now. I'm trying to get back into it, but like I'm I'm graduating and moving in the next within the next two weeks, and I just realized like I was planning on bringing some coursework with me. I'm like settling into my new state, everything's fine, but then the break schedule got messed up because of COVID, and I realized I'm renting equipment for one of my animation classes that I can't take to California with me because I have to return it. So I have to finish that class in the next week, and I'm going to cry, but it's fine because at least, at least, we have books about vampires in love. (laughs) Cool, cool, cool. What are you drinking? Mm. I'm drinking... <laughs> Sometimes I just think about, like, all of the people that I know that listen to this podcast in real life, and I forget about it until they message me after an episode, and I'm like, listen, sometimes the selective things I bring up on the podcast are not a representation of my entire life, and sometimes they are, and you just have to guess. Um, I'm are you drinking? drinking? No. I... <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um... I'm drinking three-day-old coffee from the floor to my bedroom. I heated it up in the microwave. Yeah, it's fine. It tasted fine. We're out of coffee, and I didn't have time to drive and go get it. And so um, it doesn't taste as strong when it's three days old, (laughs) but, like, it's it's better than nothing. This is somehow so much worse than if you were drinking alcohol. Like, I can't pinpoint why it is. (laughs) 
Well, it's just it's just like black coffee. So it's not like you you'll take your like fancy uh, drive through coffee and you'll put it in the fridge and reheat it like three days in a row. Yeah, like, you're not wrong. I do do like, that. This is black coffee. It's fine. There's nothing in it. It's just yeah. clean water. Your three day old milk that's been reheated three times is cultivating bacteria that will kill you someday. Yeah, that's but that's kind of like the goal. Like that's kind of what I'm hoping for. Yeah, I just wanted to feel alive again. So, <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't work. And when we're done recording, I'm going through a drive-through, and I'm I'm getting something with like eight shots in it, and it's gonna be okay. <laughs> oh heavens! The summary is so long. So it I'm always sorry. is. Um, when friends stop trusting each other, darkness is there to fan the flames. The darkness with a capital D, just so everyone knows. Things have turned black at the House of Night. Zoe Redbird's soul has shattered. With a broken heart making her want to stay in the other world forever, she's fading fast. As the only living person who can reach her, Stark must find a way to save her. But how? <laughs> He will have to die to do so, the Vampire High Council stipulates, and then Zoe will give up for sure. There are only seven days left. Enter BFF Stevie Ray. She wants to help Z, but she has massive problems too. The rogue red fledglings are acting up again. Her kind of boyfriend Dallas is sweet but too nosy and not a bird. Stevie Ray's hiding a secret that might be the key to helping Zoe, but which also threatens to explode her whole world. In the middle of the whole mess is Aphrodite, ex-fledgling, trust fund baby, total hag from hell and proud of it. She's always been blessed, if you could call it that, with prophetic visions, but now it seems Nyx has decided to speak through her, whether she wants it or not. Aphrodite's loyalty can swing a lot of different ways, but right now, Zoe's fate hangs in balance. Three girls playing with fire. If they don't watch out, everyone will get burned. Here's the thing that is funny to me uh-huh. about this little blurb on the, the back is yeah. uh Aphrodite is like barely in this book. Mm-hmm. Um Zoe is barely in this book. And Stevie Ray is not an interesting enough character to be a, like, protagonist. So maybe that's why I hated this book so much. I'm not really sure. But this was, like, particularly bad, you know? Yeah, I would argue that you just weren't reading close enough because I had I had great fun <laughs> with this book. Um, I have complained about the perspectives in these books before. Before we jump into plot, I just have to say this about the structure. I open this book that I know I have to read. And do you know what I see? Do you know what I see on on page one, chapter one? Um, I do, because I saw it too. Fucking Um. (laughs) Kelowna's perspective. What? What the fuck? Uh, Like, I, I know I went off about this almost every book since like i think book four or five when they started switching the perspectives and i was like haha it's too late for this oh naive past me little did i know we'd be jumping into the constant perspective of the evil millennial old rapist man like this is the antagonist and he has no redeemable qualities and we're trying to give him redeemable qualities here like 100 percent, the reason that he gets a perspective is so that he can be like oh my god Zoe has been uh, Zoe has been hurt by my actions where I literally shattered her soul by murdering her boyfriend like not Zoe I never wanted to hurt her what do you what do you mean you never wanted to hurt Zo- like I I hate 
Every time I saw Kelowna's perspective at the top of the chapter, I just heaved a great sigh of pity for myself. I I had the same thought. My note was, this is already unacceptable when I saw Mm -hmm. his name pop up. So in this, in Kelowna's perspective, we get this conversation between him and Neferet where they're talking about how to permanently destroy Zoe. Um, Kelowna is kind of dragging his feet on this idea. Nephora is like, you need to traverse into the other world and you need to make sure that her soul never makes its way back into its body. And he's like, but I can't do that. Nyx has banished me from the other world. And she's like, she banished your physical body but not your soul and he's like oh my god great point so basically right off the bat we get the setup for what the plot of this book is supposed to be which is Kelowna and Neferet trying to destroy Zoe's soul and everyone else trying to get her soul back in her body I kind of respect how little they care about the canon that they've already set up though it's like Uh, yeah okay that's fair it's like Kelowna's been banished completely right there's like no way for him to get to the spirit world but they get to this book and they're like we need him to be in the spirit world so they're like um your body's been banished but not your spirit even though later someone who is banished like their spirit can't get in they're, they're like I don't care Plot consistency? I don't know her. <laughs> well, and also, also, the other world does not exist in a physical realm, so only your soul can enter into the other world, right. so wouldn't... It's like your body, which could never get there in the first place, has been bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Take that, God Kelowna. was so stupid when she did that. Yeah. Yeah. Also, fun new development, we get a new character in this story, which is just Darkness, with a capital D strangely sexual as most of our characters are yeah uh, but we get a fun scene on page eight where neferet is having a weird sexual tension with actual darkness <laughs> like she's she she goes thus it shall be neferet's face twisted in pain as darkness drank from her again but she didn't flinch didn't move until the air around her pulsed bloated with her blood and her oath Mm-hmm. That, there were a lot of fun <laughs> words. Her tongue snaked out, licking the scarlet line and ending the bleeding. Neferet walked to him, bent, and gently placed her hands on either side of his face. Much as he had held the human boy before delivering his death blow, he could feel darkness thrumming around and within her, a raging bull waiting eagerly for his mistress's command. So now she, like, commands literal darkness, but also has, like, some weird sexiness going on with it. I would like to point out that darkness is literally a raging bull that's not a that wasn't a metaphor it's literally a raging bull Uh, on the theme of problematic uh redemption arcs we've got Kelowna. we also have uh rafame is that how we decided to pronounce his name yeah yeah rafame uh, who is Kelowna's son, who is also the murder and darkness and evil. He's having a lot of angsty feelings about Stevie Ray. Like, she'll leave for five minutes and he's like, oh my god, she used me and then abandoned me just like father had. So he obviously has some daddy issues going on. Uh, <laughs> but his perspective is not nearly as bad as Stevie Ray's because he's over here like, I don't know if I can trust her. I don't know what I should do with her. And Stevie Ray's over here like sweet weeping puppies dallas you nearly scared me spitless like she can't decide between her two boyfriends she has the worst accent i've ever heard in my entire life and i just can't with their storyline like (laughs) well and that's that's the thing is like 
you just simply do not care because we did the exact same thing with Zoe for like the past what book is this in this series like eight like we've been doing this for the past seven books (laughs) with (laughs) Zoe like I'm so fucking over the love triangle in this series right although I do I do love uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep putting in things that that brought me great enjoyment. Uh, Stevie Ray, when she comes back, like sh- the reason that she imprinted with Rafame, right, is because she was almost dying on the roof because she almost got burned to death because she was up there trying to help him. I don't know. I can't even remember something. With the the red, red fledgling. Yeah, the red fledglings were trying to kill her. Right, but her, she can't explain any of this to anyone because she's built this throne of lies for herself, and now she has to sit on it. So when they're like Stevie Ray what happened to you? Why aren't you okay? She's like, oh, I was on the roof and I I tripped and and hit my head and I just passed out. And when I woke up, I was almost dead because the sun was up. And they're like, you know what? Yeah, that seems like you. That seems like you. Stevie Ray and uh, Dallas are just discussing Zoe, what happened to her. As far as they all know, she's dead and her spirit has been cut loose. Zoe is a really bad high priestess. Like, the reason that she was shattered in the last book is because he died. Yeah. Her sex friend died, and that was enough to send her into a tailspin so hard that her soul shattered. It's just so melodramatic. And, uh, like, the other issue that we're running into with this book is everyone is convinced that she's going to die because you can't live without your soul for, like, more than a week. I think is what it is. I don't it's, know. <laughs> it's like the rule of threes. You can live uh, three minutes without air, uh, three weeks without, f- no, three minutes without air, three days without water, one week without your soul. <laughs> uh, more importantly, Aphrodite and Darius still have their weird thing going on, and Aphrodite continues to describe him as he was more than her big, hot, mountain-like warrior. She could count on Darius. He always saw the best in her. Darius is more than a hunk of me, Aphrodite. (laughs) He's more than a hunk of me, and also you are literally being groomed by this, like, 26-year-old man. I would just like to point that out. He's, like, 26, and she's, like, 16, Uh, 17 on a good day i've been watching too much teen wolf (laughs) it needs to stop oh teen wolf (laughs) i miss Um, that show what i would give to watch that all over again for the first time it's so bad it's so bad even better like you know when you know when you're watching something on your own and it's fine but then you find someone who's absolutely obsessed with it and they know all the lore and they know all the background and they're like let me tell you this cool thing. And they're so excited when you watch it. That's my sister right now. So <laughs> I'm okay. Teen Wolf is just bisexual culture and I can't really like explain it, but it has so much bisexual Everyone energy is bisexual. in it. Everyone it is. Everyone is bisexual or gay. Actually, that's probably our favorite pastime while we're watching is pointing out scenes that are gay, uh, pointing out characters who are bisexual, and then pointing out all of the homoerotic undertones that they 100% knew what they were doing. Well, and Colton Haynes, who plays, I can't remember the, his character's Jackson. name. But he, Jackson, yes, he's gay. And oh, yeah. then yeah, yeah. The, uh, the guy who plays Scott McCall is bisexual. So yeah, yeah. there are, there is some, some truth here, you know? He had a major glow up too. He like, I saw a picture of him recently he's and cute. he's like doing music and he has tattoos all over. He had like turquoise hair. I was like, this is great. I love this for everyone. He was in the words of, in the words of this book, 
a hottie covered with awesome sauce. Okay, yum. <laughs> Even though my head was kind of fuzzy, I felt warm and happy. That's our protagonist, Zoe, everyone. A hottie covered with awesome sauce. Uh-huh. Okay, yum. Um, and, like, Heath is not that special. Why are we still talking about him, you know? No. And her, like, her soul has been shattered. She's in the after, like, if, if ever there was a time for levity, <laughs> this is not it. Like, I feel like there could have, we could have had some emotional weight to Zoe almost dying. The rest of the gang is still in, like, Italy, or wherever the fuck they are. Wherever, with Zoe's body when her, her soul shatter, shattered. Um, Stevie Ray, Dallas, Rafame, etc., they're all still in Tulsa, and Stevie Ray is trying to do what she can to research lightness and darkness, but she, like, has to do it all secretly because reasons? Oh, also, she's taking care of her bird boyfriend, so, like, that complicates things. Anyways, she needs a car. She's gotta get places. So she decides that she's gonna start taking Zoe's car around, and it works out perfectly because Zoe leaves her keys in the car because the doors don't lock anyways. Why? But, like, but you're just making it so much easier for someone to steal your car. Like, why are you just leaving your keys in the ignition? Right? Like, as someone whose car doors do lock, but, like, you have to lock them manually and they're super easy to break into. Like, my keys aren't staying in my car. I'm not just like, you know what, it's easy, so I'm just gonna make it even easier. Come take my YOLO. Well, okay, and when you say they're doing research, like, they don't don't go into exactly where they get their information from all the time, but I feel like Stevie Ray's just on Google and she's like, okay, darkness and lightness enter search send the only and the, you start scrolling through wikipedia pages about darkness and light like none of these kids have any research skills all they do is get their information from word of mouth the only person who ever does any research ever is fucking damien uh-huh. and the only thing yeah. he researches is and big they make words. fun of him for it yeah. yeah but world building question uh, one of them at some point says, oh, it's all over the internet that Z isn't the only shattered soul in Venice. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's it's all over the internet. Like, someone take me to Vampire Reddit with a Y. Like, what do you mean it's all over that? Do vampires just have open discourse on, like, fucking YouTube? Like, the, what is happening in this world where, like, they're supposed to be secretive and in hiding, but they're also right. celebrities. So, obviously, they, they have, like, some sort of social media account. And what do you mean it's all over the internet? Like, someone, one of the one of the high priestesses is, like, on her phone, and she's just like, LOL, Zoe just got shattered. <laughs> yeah, sweet. the, the <laughs> vampire news circuit is super weird. And also, this has all happened over the course of, like, a day and it's not widely known that Colonna's soul shattered. I guess we should back up for a second. Colonna's soul did not actually shatter, but that's the story that Neferet is trying to push. He just, like, left his body to go into the spirit realm. A fun reminder that Rafame's only redeeming quality is that Stevie Ray is a furry. But if you're in love with a bird, is it called a feathery? Because there's no fur on birds. So do we have different vocabulary for that? Is she, like, a bird girl? But then, like, what does that imply about horse girls, though? Well, isn't a... I thought a furry was just someone who liked to 
dress up in animal wear, but, like, in a sexual way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, like, so you, it's, it's like, implying, like, sexual feel, yeah. Yes, you're right. Yeah. No, I feel like it all falls under the blanket of furry. And we could say feathery, but I feel like that just, like, takes us into, like, people wouldn't know what we're talking about you know i'm just cracking up i, I put these notes in when i was drunk at like at two in love the morning. that so it, it just says <laughs> it just says feathery bird girl what does that imply about horse girls though no that's bad i should have put these in sober in the morning fuck <laughs> <laughs> bottom line she's still a birdophile so she's and like birdophile. can we really yeah even... that's the word i was looking for yeah but you, she's you like She's not even a furry because he's not dressing up like a bird man. He literally is a bird man, you know? I mean, yeah, but she's into it. Like, I feel like the I feel like the vibes are the same. Furry discourse is like not what I anticipated for my day today. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so Stevie Ray is having a chat with her bird boyfriend, and they both equally hate Neferet. He hates Neferet because she took his father away from him. Stevie Ray hates Neferet for obvious reasons. And throughout the beginning of this book, we get weird little tidbits that imply that Neferet is getting all of this new power. Like, she's somehow becoming immortal, but that's never really explained. Um, And she suddenly has, like, all of these new powers that no one knew she had before, but nothing is necessarily addressed it's just kind of like where is this coming from how is she getting all of this power so stevie ray is having this conversation with rafame they're talking about how they're recalling uh when she killed the high priestess shakina uh i think it was in the last book and rafame says neferet touched the high priestess but not with her hands she manipulated the threads from death she's responsible for sacrifices she's made and dark promises she means to keep that power is what killed shakina and that is the power she wielded against my father's already weakened spirit um i'd like to point out that this is not actually an answer and it doesn't actually explain anything so even the answers that we are supposedly getting actually make no sense because it doesn't actually address something it's just like using feathery language to make you think that your questions are being answered but it's not i still don't know what's going on we do get redeeming quality number two out of this conversation though Rafame is weirdly hyper fixated on stevie ray's mom like he brings up multiple times he's like hey have you talked to your mom you need to talk to your mom have you talked to her recently how are you feeling about your mom and she's like oh he cares that i miss my mom like mm, mm-hmm her mom thinks that she's still dead so he's like maybe yeah. you should call your mom and let her know that you're like alive or something i don't know weird vibes all around birdman hyper fixated on your mom that does it for Stevie Ray, apparently. Yeah. As as referenced in the summary, but like we don't really get it until the uh, towards like midway through the book. Stark is trying to put Zoe's soul back together, so he's researching all of this ancient Celtic lore. He finds this island that this female warrior is in charge of. I'm not going to go into depth about it because it it literally just shows up in this book and then disappears. But he finds he finds a warrior to train him to enter the spirit world without actually dying so that he can go and kind of bring Zoe back from the brink. But the warrior is kind of a kind of an ass. Uh, and he also hates Stark, which fair. I also hate Stark. I love it. So he's just constantly throwing these little... Uh, he, he's just constantly needling at Stark, like trying to get him to break down. And he's just like... 
Oh, and how did you feel about Zoe's love for Heath? A warrior bond is an intimate one, is it not? You were with them when the soul shattering happened. Where's your culpability, warrior? And he's like, so what, you let her die because you suck? Because you're weak and jealous and she's in love with a human and his death literally killed her? Where does your death only made her mildly weepy for one book, <laughs> bitch? Like, everyone is so mean Sick to Stark burn. in this book, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, but Stark is a rapist, so, I mean... Yeah, I'm here we for support, it. Yeah, we support negativity towards him. Now, the problem, the problem is, Stark and all of the other supposed good guys are trying to bring Neferat down, because obviously, I mean, like Kate mentioned earlier, she's becoming an immortal, uh, she's come up with this great excuse that Kelowna's soul is shattered, so you don't have to worry about him. Nothing, nothing bad is going on with him. He's definitely not in the spirit world trying to, like, murder Zoe. The, but the problem is, Neferet is only obviously evil to these children. She is very good at acting coherent in a group setting. She's very good at acting, and they're terrible at it. They're so bad at it. So this book is also starting to give me, like, Shatter Me series vibes, because now every book, everyone is discovering a new power that they suddenly possess. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, Aphrodite can apparently now sense spirits from the other world. This is awfully convenient that Aphrodite has obtained this new skill. That's, that's all. That's all I can say about it. It's because we maxed out Zoe's abilities. Like, she, yeah, she cannot contain yeah, she's a, a Mary Sue extra sure. ability. And so we had to start giving them to other people. Had to start yep. spreading the love. I really enjoyed the little discourse that we had on, on graphic novels midway through. Zoe's dead. Neferet is gaining power. People are trusting her over the rest of these crazy teenagers. And... Right in the middle of that, we get where Stevie Ray makes a comment about how, oh, you just need to check out his body using your super spidey otherworld senses. Aphrodite, you're such a dork. There's no such thing as Spider-Man. He's a made-up comic book bullshit character. Stevie Ray, they're called graphic novels, not comic books. Don't be so dang judgmental. I do not have time to argue with you about the benefits of graphic novels on people's imaginations. Aphrodite. Oh, please. If its ass is feathered and waterproof, it's a duck. Hello, pictures with little word balloons. Makes it a comic book. They're dorky comic books for nerdy antisocial non-bathing people. End of discussion. This goes on for too long. Like, uh, Spider-Man <laughs> feels relevant here in this situation. I, I want a little bit less Spider-Man, and I want a little bit more exposition of plot, but <laughs> it's fine. That's I've a come to preference. accept it. Meanwhile, we have uh, miraculously a solution on how to fix Zoe's soul. And that solution is because Stark is her warrior IRL, he is also her warrior in the other world. So he needs to fake die to go get her another convenient solution. Like, it's not just like Zoe needs to put herself back together. It's that Stark is going to conveniently not die to go rescue her body. The explanation for it is just that, like, Stevie Ray brings up that doesn't make sense because, like, haven't we read in the Fledgling Handbook 101 that, that like, it doesn't, that, that doesn't work, that, like, that's not possible. 
And Aphrodite's like, please, dork. It's in the 101 handbook because it's meant to scare the crap out of stupid third formers like you so that hot young fledglings stay away from sexy sons of Erebus warriors. The stupid thing was probably written by some dried up old hag of a high priestess who hadn't had sex in like a hundred years. Literally. <laughs> Stark like- <laughs> needs to follow Zoe to the other world, kick Colonna's spirit ass, and then bring her back here. Right, oh right. God. Well, and then and then when she's like, trying to explain it to the high council lady later who comes in to help them, the council, the council, high council lady is telling her like, no, these these people were much more experienced. Like all of those warriors and high priestesses were older and much more experienced than you. And Aphrodite says they were too old and had too much experience because that makes sense. Like the rules are only there because the high priestesses were horny. And also, they had too much experience. And the terrible thing is, even at this point, you just know she's going to end up being right. Like, Stark is going to go do it. It's going to work. And she's going to be like, in your face, dried up old hags. Oh, yeah. Because, like, honestly, the only thing that hasn't gone according to plan is Heath died. But honestly, we're, like, eight books in. And there's only been one main character death, with the exception of, like, Lauren Blake, if you could really count that. So, continuing along this line of trying to figure out what the fuck is going on in the other world, someone from the High Council is talking talking to Aphrodite and says, you must understand what this means, prophetess. Zoe's spirit is in the other world in pieces. Past lives have been stripped from her, as have memories and different aspects of her personality. She is becoming one with the chaotic uh, she, a thing that's not dead and not alive, a being trapped in the realm of spirits, yet with the comfort of her own spirit, or without the comfort of her own spirit. Aphrodite replies in true Aphrodite fashion and says, no, seriously, speak American and not this ancient and very fucked up, confusing olden day hero crap. Without the confusing woo-woo references, explain why the hell you're writing Zoe off. <laughs> Here is my favorite thing that apparently is still a thing that happens because one of my coworkers said the phrase speak American the other day. It's so amusing to me when people say things like speak American, trying to imply that someone who, you know, speaks a different language or in this situation uses fancy words, that they are somehow dumb, even though you do not even know that American is not a language. Like, are you so world-centric that, anyways, that's all. This is why everyone trusts Neferet and not this group of teenagers. This terrible, terrible group of teenagers. I mean, would you want to fucking... I would rather deal with Neferet over fucking Aphrodite any day. Are you kidding me? Keep in mind, all of these discussions that they're having have been around Zoe's dead body. Like, Mm -hmm. obviously they're hoping to rescue her, but they've been having these discussions around her body. And so Aphrodite gets mad. Who knows why? Because she's been doing this the entire book as well. But she turns to the twins and she's like, Dorkami's twins, why are you lurking here? Uh, Shawnee, we aren't lurking, hateful. Aaron, yeah, we're respectfuling. Why do they expect anyone to listen to them at all? Because this this directly goes into uh, the fourth recap of the novel, where we have to catch everybody up on everything that's happened. Like, if I... <laughs> if I have to go through another recap, my soul is going to slither out of my body. Like, yeah, I can't. that's fair. I can't handle it. I can't it's handle just this. It's just recap them off the page. Like, just let, just put, literally just write the line. We updated them on what's been going on. Right. Great. I was there for all of it. I don't need to hear it right. again. Furthermore, 
we suddenly start throwing in, and we already kind of talked about this in, with the first chapter, but the introduction of the trope of lightness and darkness, mm-hmm. talking about how, so from the beginning, this has been a battle between light and darkness. Only until now has it, has it been fought mostly in the physical uh, realm. Lightness and darkness, it sounds like you're using those two words as titles, says Damien. Very astute of you, young fledgling. Again, this book is biting off more than it can chew. Uh, we've We've gone so far away from what we started with and i just don't want to keep up with it anymore but anyways we just keep plugging along for some reason we have to gender it like uh so she's talking about the ancient belief regarding light and dark and she says it was based on struggle and violence and the clash of the raw powers of good and evil aphrodite snorted you mean guy stuff thanatos's brows lifted i do like Looks like we can't girl boss gatekeep gaslight our way out of this one, fam. There's this like weird obsession with with guy stuff because apparently even in the matriarchy, we can't get away from sexism. I stick with this theme. It's not it wasn't just the high council leader being like, yeah, Aphrodite, right, guy stuff. When she explains it, she'll say things like, think of the images of Nyx that we see about us every day with their feminine beauty and appeal. Contrast that to an imagining of the raw power unleashed in the form of two great battling male creatures. Do you see how a world trying to contain both would be in conflict? They're like, you can't have a world with the raw masculine powers of dark and light and pretty pictures of our goddess. (laughs) What do you mean? What do you mean? And then, and then Zoe, they, and then after this, they start capitalizing light and darkness and their yeah. characters. So Damien will say something like, Zoe's awfully close to light. Close enough to get gored by darkness, Stark said, especially if darkness has been sent to be sure that she doesn't ever reach the light again. This is a metaphor. None of these kids have ever seen a metaphor. This series has never seen a metaphor because then as frustrating as it is to hear them talking about light and darkness as actual characters, they are actual characters that show up and try and kill people. We also get the uh, recurring theme of Aphrodite using the R word and um, that's a lot of fun. And Stevie Ray calls her out on it by saying the word again and Aphrodite responds with, how about if I say bite me? Is that nice enough? Just listen and try not to be so ass-tarted, bumpkin. (laughs) We're just making up so many words. (laughs) So I, you know, while Savannah was paying attention to the nonsensical plot, I was paying attention to whatever the fuck is happening with the dialogue here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just brushed right over that. This now becomes a theme is the difference between guy stuff and girl stuff. And Stevie Ray is talking to Dallas. He's telling her about how he's in training with one of their teachers and he's learning to fight. And uh, he got this really cool knife. And he's like, yeah, I'm not using it to practice with yet. But Dragon did say I could wear it for a while if I was careful. Oh, okay, cool. If she lived a million years, Stevie Ray was sure she'd never understand guy stuff. Like, listen... I'm just saying, if I had a perpetually sharp knife, I would also strap that shit to my leg and never take it off. Like, I'm showering with that knife. Like, what do you mean it never gets dull? And it, like, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard of. 
Stop being so judgmental, Stevie Ray. So continuing on with that interaction between Stevie Ray and Dallas, Dallas starts to have like this identity crisis because he's starting to realize that Stevie Ray is more powerful than him. Um, He threw his hands up in frustration. I'm talking about me not being good enough for you. I know you need more, that you need a warrior. Hell, Stevie Ray, if I'd been your warrior, I could have been there for you when those kids attacked you and almost killed you. If I were your warrior, you wouldn't be sending me off to do stupid errands. You'd keep me close to you so I could protect you during all of this stuff you're going through. And Stevie Ray is like, homeboy, like, I'm fucking good. Like, I've I've got an affinity for Earth. I do not need you to protect me. And he is just very upset that his girlfriend is, like, all powerful and he isn't. Yeah. Um, and we just love men with fragile egos. We're getting, um, like Prince Philip vibes. This is just like a side note because the authors keep throwing it in as a side note and keep thinking that we're not going to like <laughs> want to talk about it. But why is Refame seeing ghost children everywhere? Mm. Like he's mm. like having conversations <laughs> with the ghost child. <laughs> That's to explore in later books, Caitlin. We're seeding plot. We're seeding plot now so that it can grow into a beautiful flower later. Like the first time it was mentioned, I was like, "Okay, that's fine." Like I just missed it in previous books, and it just keeps coming. It just keeps coming up, and I'm like, "Why is there a child in the room with him?" Anyways, <laughs> no, I really think this is the first book it's been brought up, and I don't remember it from. The no, no, no. Yeah, this is this definitely has not been mentioned before. Because Zoe is dead and can't cast a circle, someone has to cast a circle to complete this book. So it's Stevie Ray in this book. She she casts her circle, and Aphrodite has told her like, "Hey, you need to call one of these bulls. You need to call Light so that Light can help us." And she's like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that. I'll, I'll cast a circle. I'll call one of the bulls. But Aphrodite doesn't tell her which color of bull she's looking for because there's a white one and a black one. <laughs> this is my favorite misunderstanding <laughs> so ever. She, like, <laughs> so she she calls the white one because she's like, ah, oh, that's probably light. And it turns which out is that that's fair. It's fair. It's fair. But I feel like the communication was severely lacking, considering that one of them is like the literal incarnate of evil, and the other yeah, one is like, yeah, yeah. Maybe give a girl a heads up, but like yeah, it's fine, right, right? Especially knowing, hey, people might naturally assume that white, light, black, dark, like that. We might make those connotations. Maybe I should bring it up, but she doesn't. So Stevie Ray calls darkness. Darkness fucking almost murders her and Rafame, and it's got like these weird little tentacle things coming out. And it's, like, drinking her blood, but there's, like, blood everywhere in the earth. It's, like, it's real bad. It's real bad. And she she ma- she accidentally makes a deal with it. But we don't has- know what the deal is. Yeah. Then she has the bright idea of, hey, I've cast this circle. I've called literal darkness. I can still call enough. Like, I could call light right now. Nothing's stopping me. <laughs> so she's like, yeah, uh, Rafame and this, like literal incarnation of darkness came at my command so i command again through the power of the earth i call the other bull the one who fights this one and i'll pay whatever i have to just to get this thing off my raven yeah fair fair so so she calls light and uh refame can't really see what's going on he's dying in her little circle he saw stevie ray's eyes go wide and miraculously she smiled and then laughed yes she spoke joyously i'll pay your price and dang you're so black and beautiful 
And then directly we go into, right, so they're all gathered around Zoe's dead body having inappropriate conversations constantly. Um, and yeah, jump back to, Star- to Stark. Someone brings up Cher and Jack says, I had a Cher Barbie doll. I loved that doll. Aphrodite. A Cher Barbie, Barbie doll? Seriously? You're supposed to be saving Z, remember? And then they get into this, like, two-page long discourse about Barbies? And... Jack is saying uh, Barbies are a cool and an important part of American culture, especially celebrity Barbies. Aphrodite, celebrity Barbies would only be important if they had interesting accoutrements that you could buy with them, Aphrodite said. Accoutre what? Shawnee said. You sound like you've swallowed a French guy and are trying to spit him out. And then they start talking about accessories, like how to accessorize your Barbies and a Paris Hilton doll. Um, and what what should be a Barbie? What could we make into a Barbie? Like this goes on for this goes on for much too long. So like two books ago or however long ago, because they honestly kind of all blend together. But previously, our escapist thing was Project Runway. Yes. Um, and now it is uh, Celebrity Barbies. It's always something new with these guys. It's rather specific, I would I would argue. Mm-hmm. A little bit niche, yeah. Basically, for some reason, uh, the gang has decided, the gang in Italy has decided that they're going to start listing out things that could be considered light and things that could be considered dark. <laughs> I added the onion rings and ding-dongs, Jack said when everybody just stared at him. He shrugged and explained, onion rings are deep fried and fattening, but the onion is a vegetable, so they aren't. So aren't they good for you? Maybe. And, well, ding-dongs are chocolate, but they have cream in the middle. Isn't that dairy and healthy? (laughs) I think you're brain damaged, Aphrodite said. We added your name, Erin said. Yeah, because we think you're like Rachel on Glee, Shawnee said. Super annoying, but she has to be in the show because sometimes she comes up with good stuff and kind of sort of saves the day. But we think she's still a hack from hell. Like you, Erin finished giving Aphrodite a sugary smile. Okay, Rachel I cannot. Is the second worst burn I can think of because the first is hands down. Morrison. So true, so true. I cannot think. Of, like, there is nothing more offensive than being told that you were like Rachel from Glee. Yeah, <laughs> except being told that you have vibes of Matthew Morrison, which just means that you're a child predator. Yes. And a war criminal somehow. Also. And a war criminal. Uh, meanwhile, Stevie Ray is trying to figure out how to keep up with all of the lies that she's told. Um, and I, I said earlier in the episode that she was building herself a throne of lies, but this, it, the in-text description is better. It says she couldn't tell anyone about the Raven Mocker, so instead she began again to weave lies with the truth, forming a terrible tapestry of evasion and deceit. <laughs> I love that. It's so dramatic. It's such a great line. Stevie Ray's having a conversation with the remaining uh, professors at the House of Night, and they're realizing that a raven mocker is, like, still around, and they're specifically (laughs) talking about Rafame, but they don't actually know that he's, like, still alive. And Stevie Ray is like, I'm going to continue to defend him because he saved my life twice, but also he did kill Dragon's wife, so that is a negative, but Stevie Ray keeps thinking to herself, he's changed, he's different now, and I was like, yep, that is the story arc of every fucking man in this book. They don't even do anything to change either, they just wake up one day and they're like, you know what, what if I wasn't a murderer? Maybe I'd be a more viable love interest then. 
Yeah, um, Zoe now loves me, which means I can stop being a rapist. Mm -hmm. So Stevie Ray keeps, like, sneaking off, and it's starting to become more obvious, because she has to keep sneaking away to go take care of her fame. And Kremisha, who you might remember from the past couple of books, who is essentially our stereotypically black character but she's also she also writes a lot of poetry but she's calling stevie ray out on it and she's like so who are you seeing like obviously you're seeing someone other than dallas because i've i you know i've seen the little glow in your face and stevie ray says he's someone no one would like he ain't abusing you is he because that's some wrong shit and i know some females who've been caught up in it and can't get their and can't get their way out Kremisha, I can make Earth rise up and kick someone's ass. No guy would hit me ever. I just love when we handle these issues, these really serious and traumatic issues with such delicacy, such as this exchange right here. Right, and Stevie Ray in her head is, well, because Kremisha's next follow-up is, is he black? Because Stevie Ray is white and from the South, and so maybe her parents are racist, I don't know, I think is the thinking. And her thought process is, no, Kremisha, he's not black. He's a killer bird with evil for his daddy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes! The on-point descriptions. The on-point descriptions are killing me dead. Also, uh, token not in a sexual way for this book. I forgot that this is the series that that originated from. Aphrodite is talking, or no, Stevie Ray is talking about her uh, imprint with Aphrodite, which they made very clear when it happened a couple books ago was not sexual. It wasn't, but there was some weird tension going on. Uh, So Stevie Ray brings it up again twice and both times. She says not in a sexual way. (laughs) Yeah, no no homo. And we had this this connection going on then she realizes that she said the word sexual and she's like but why am i thinking about that why am i thinking about that aspect of our uh our imprint in regards to refame i don't i don't like him do i she couldn't possibly okay my biggest intrigue and also complaint with this book was that we start diving into a lot of uh celtic lore and just a lot of Irish folklore, Scottish folklore, like, we're crossing a lot of international boundaries as well because they're traveling. They're actually going to these places that these myths are from and trying to rewrite them. But we're not giving them any sort of uh, depth. We're not getting any sort of detail. We just get random lines where uh, Stark's Scottish warrior mentor will pop up and be like, the fae, fairies to ya. <laughs> Do you know what? <laughs> I can't do a Scottish accent. That do wasn't you... all that bad to start, though. <laughs> do you know what? That's where they're saying tie the knot comes from. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> and he's there going, I, woman, if it's truly romantic, then it must be Scottish. And he just, like, keeps keeps dropping these lines. And he's like, yeah, like, the fairies. The fairies are going to help you. And then we just move straight along. Like, we don't, we don't go back and talk about the fairies. We don't get to know, like, who these fairies are, where they came from, how they relate to vampire lore. He's just like, yeah, yeah, the fairies. The fairies are yeah. going to help you go into the other world and piece Zoe's soul back together. Well, again, even the answers are non-answers, so. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I'm finally like, fuck yeah, some spice. Like, this book is gonna, is like gonna start moving along. I mean, we're on page 200 and I'm bored as fuck at this point. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I want to know more about the fairies. I want to know. I just, I just want something to happen. I, I want something different to be going on than what we actually got in this book. Um, but apparently on the evening news, this is in Stevie Ray's perspective, there was a bulletin about a gang break-in at a trip at these apartments where four people were killed and their throats were cut out and they were partially drained of blood. The only reason the police are not on our doorstep accusing us is the report from several witnesses who all swear it was a gang of human teenagers with red eyes. So I'm like- teenagers with red eyes. (laughs) So I'm like- I love that they specified that it's human teenagers anyways, but I'm just like, okay, cool. So Red Vampire is coming back in full swing. Nope. Nope. We just kind of casually mention that and skip on over it and that's all we really know about it. Also, so Stevie Ray's starting to, you know, really discover all of these new feelings that she's having for Refame now that they're imprinted and it was that darkness that healed him and made him look dot dot dot. Stevie Ray's thoughts trailed off because she didn't want to go there. She didn't want to admit, even silently to herself, how Rafame had looked to her standing there, framed by the moonlight, powerful and whole. Nervously, she twirled a blonde curl, and any way they were imprinted, he was supposed to look a certain way to her. So, um, Birdophilia is here in full swing. <laughs> like, girl, you already I would went just there. Like to... You already went yeah. there. I mean, we've been implying it for the past three books, and now it's finally happening. Mm -hmm. And just also out of nowhere, uh, Dallas discovers that he has an affinity for electricity. When we first discover that Dallas has an affinity for electricity, it's because they're trying to find the red fledglings after they murder, you know, a group of people. So they get into the tunnels and they're having a disagreement and an argument and suddenly Nicole, who is the leader of the Red Fledglings, like the bad Red Fledglings, her hand went up under her baggy shirt and came out with a snub-nosed gun which she (laughs) named in the middle of Stevie Ray's head. Out of nowhere this happens. Stevie Ray felt one instant of terror and then she heard cocking sounds and her stunned gaze went from Nicole's gun to the two Kurt to Curtis and Star who had raised and pointed their guns at Dallas and Kermisha. So this gang of red vampire fledglings just whips out guns and are threatening to kill them. This is like gang action. I told you the Um, sixth element is guns. (laughs) They start shooting, but somehow Stevie Ray and friends deflect all of the bullets. So because they deflected all of the bullets, the bullets ricochet and kill all of the other red fledglings. So it's just like this massive bloody, gory mess scene where everyone is just dead. So Stevie Ray, not giving herself time to think about what she was walking into, she strode into the kitchen straight to the broken, bleeding bodies that Nicole had left behind. There were five of them, three including Star that had been struck by Nicole's deflected shots, and the other two had been trampled. They're all dead, Stevie Ray thought with a strange... a a thought that was so strange she sounded so calm. Just everyone dies. They just I'm... I marked the next four pages periodically just because the aftermath of this scene was so, like, so they roll the bodies into sleeping bags, right? And then uh, Kremisha is helping Stevie Ray get rid of these dead children. Love that. Kremisha's like, they're probably going to need counseling. Uh, And Stevie Ray responds and you won't no i used to be a candy striper at st john's er i've seen a whole lot of crazy there 
<laughs> Moves right along. Never has an issue with it. Meanwhile, Stevie Ray's having a little bit of a mental breakdown. She is not thinking about how they've just, like, zipped a bunch of dead bodies into sleeping bags and are going to, like, dump them next to the train tracks. <laughs> And then she's, like, staring at the blood on the floor, and she's like, we gotta hide this somehow. So she calls Earth, and she's like, Earth, please soak up the blood of these kids who shouldn't have had to die. Like a giant earthen sponge, the floor of the kitchen became porous and absorbed the stains. That was a gross, that was a gross thing. Then... So she's just absorbed the blood into the floor, right? She's crying. She's having a moment. Dallas is like, hey, we probably need to get going. Like, uh, the kids are waiting outside that aren't dead, and we need to go take them back to safety. Like, are you good? And she's like, yeah. Somehow he starts talking about how two of the kids, like, have a crush on each other. And he's like, yeah, I'm getting good at telling when someone likes someone. And she's like, oh, really? Like, who? Like, you and me, girl. (laughs) Dallas bent and kissed her. Like, you're standing on the floor where you just soaked up the blood of a bunch of dead people. Like, (laughs) read the room, Dallas. Also, uh, less than ten pages later, (laughs) uh, he suddenly discovers her relationship with Rafaim and says, You lied to me, you whore. So we... (laughs) Continuing on, he's made you into a goddamn whore and a liar. You need some sense (laughs) knocked into you right, girl. Dallas lifted his head like he was going to hit Stevie Ray. His blood red eyes skewered her. I'm going to fry him and then whatever weird control he has over you is going to be gone. You and me can be together and I won't tell anyone shit about what happened here as long as you're my girl. So... Major Eric vibes. Mm-hmm. Also, P.S., where the fuck is Eric? Because he's not in this book at all. That's I kind of miss him. Where did he go? Yeah, bring Eric back. He's he like left the... with his new girlfriend and like went back to school, and we don't go back to school anymore because we're in yeah. Italy now and Scotland. Yeah. So He's like the least problematic of all of the men in Zoe's life now, so I would like to bring Eric back even though I fucking hate Eric. I would just like to point out that Birdophilia officially becomes canon when Dallas and Stevie Ray break up for realsies and Rafame asks if he is Stevie Ray's consort because he cannot help himself. And she says, yes, you are my consort. So they will be having weird half-human, half-bird sex soon. Yeah, and if they bring Dallas back, I'm gonna I'm gonna scream. He needs to go. He needs to be. Yeah, gone. he yeah. <laughs> he needs to. Yeah, he needs to unalive himself. So Stark is in Scotland, right? And he is trying to get to his his mean warrior buddy is trying to help him get to Zoe. And you find out that the way that he's doing this is by uh, sending his mind into this weird, pain ridden state because he's just like slashing they've like sat him on this throne and they're like slashing him up and supposedly this you is know. supposed to send his mind to the spirit realm because his body thinks it's dying meanwhile aphrodite's there too she accompanied him because he he couldn't show up just with all of his manly vibes there had to be a woman to help get him onto the island and i forgot about this <laughs> <laughs> So somehow this works. Stark makes it to the spirit realm and he doesn't really know what he's going to be facing because they've been talking in metaphors and parables the whole time and they're like, you're gonna have to face something really difficult. So he gets to the spirit world and he sees a mirror in the distance and he's like, this is, this is kind of weird. I wasn't expecting 
to be alone. I thought I was going to have to fight something. And then he realizes that it isn't a mirror, but his other self grinning a familiar cocky smile. And then he spoke, dispelling all thoughts of mirror images and rational explanations. Yeah, fuck nuts, it's you. You're me <laughs> to get into this place. You're going to have to kill me. <laughs> Which is not going to happen because I'm not so cool with dying. What is going to happen is that I'm going to kick your ass and kill you dead. <laughs> it's just, at this point, we've completely given up on dialogue. Like, what? Has there, ever, has there ever been a more epic introduction to a villain than, yeah, fuck nuts, it's you. You're me. <laughs> <laughs> so stark fights his evil void self i'm having flashbacks to season three of teen wolf <laughs> if you know you know meanwhile his warrior guidance counselor is like so he's like sitting there just like flicking his knife back and forth like slicing him up right and then all of a sudden he like grabs his head and just drags the blade across his eyes and just like fucking slices his eyes off. I was oh, like, oh, I what? missed that. <laughs> Wait, what? Yikes. Yeah. He, yeah, and and meanwhile, Stark is still fighting himself, and he that somehow gives him an extra surge of power. And then we just never talk about it again. Like when he wakes up, he's fine. He can see fine. Everything, like everything, is healed. I'm really lost here. When we go into Zoe's perspective, um, it's showing her and Heath together, like they're both hanging out in this spirit realm. So Heath is kind of keeping her company. We know that Heath is dead, and we know that Zoe is potentially dying, and Heath is kind of trying to get her to pick up the pieces of herself, because she her soul is, like, completely shattered. She's not, like, a whole person in this other world. She's obviously going through some shit. Stark makes his way into the other world, gets Heath aside with him, where Zoe doesn't know that Stark is there in the first place, and Stark tells Heath, you have to basically pass on, because the only way that Zoe is going to come back into her body is if you leave her. Mm -hmm. So, like, the only chance that we have of saving her is for you to actually die. Because she's the worst fucking high priestess ever, and she refuses to leave her consort, even if it means saving the world. Right. Even though Heath is, like, not that special, and no. he's super homophobic, mm -hmm. and it's not great. so many issues with him. Heath leaves Zoe, and he... Oh, it's described as... Heath turned and walk, walked away from his true love. The air before him opened, curtain-like, and he stepped from one realm into another and disappeared completely. Utterly broken, Zoe staggered back to the cedar tree, silent as a corpse, with tears leaking steadily down her face as she resumed her circular pacing. And I just want to know, how many people do you think cried over this scene with Heath dying? I'm legitimately curious. Yeah. Like, I personally sobbed when Stevie Ray died, um, but as far as Heath goes, I'm pretty sure I didn't give a shit. After Heath dies, we have this weird scene with Stark where he has a little identity crisis uh, based off of what uh, he was told earlier in the book where he's like, oh, like, Zoe would have pulled herself together because of how much she loved Heath, but she wouldn't pull herself together for me. Like, she doesn't love me enough for that. Right. And then he kind of gets over himself and he's like, oh... Yeah, I, I'm drawn to her, but she's not what she was before. Even though she's shattered, though, she's still, like, my high priestess and queen and whatever. And 
I'm going to be her guardian no matter what. I'm bound to her by something stronger than love, honor. And he has this whole discourse about it where he's like, oh, I'm not really in love with Zoe and I don't have romantic feelings for her. I just am here to protect her. And <laughs> I don't know where I got this connection from, but the note I left was just, if we have another Renesmee situation, I'm going to throw hands. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's fair. Also, on this same page, we also get this this info drop that Heath left here so that he can be reborn and live another lifetime. And that I was, was like, it. that was where it came me, from. What? Yes, Heath getting reborn and like that his spirit is going somewhere else and he's going to be reborn and they have this unbreakable bond. That thank you. That's where it came from. I was oh, like, good. If we have another Renesmee situation where she like finds Heath's like baby reincarnation and is like i love this baby (laughs) then i'm done that's where the series stops for me i don't care if we're on the last book we're done (laughs) you know i never finished the series so it's entirely possible that that's what we're going towards i will i will scream (laughs) so there's a confrontation with stark and colonna in the spirit world while zoe's like still trying to like put herself back together and Stark and Kelowna are taunting each other. Stark is basically telling Kelowna, like, look at all of the pain and suffering that you're causing. You're not a god. Just because you're immortal doesn't mean that you can, like, make all of these decisions for people. Kelowna's like, let the pain this causes Zoe be on your soul, not mine. And Stark says, yeah, because I'd hate for you to fucking take responsibility for any of the messed up shit you've done. And I was like, this is the pot calling the kettle black. Like, (laughs) you guys have essentially done the exact same things just in different timelines yes so you know it's whatever but stark can be redeemed we're on our way to getting Kelowna redeemed all will be well in the end i'm sure so we do end on a hopeful note um and i don't really have anything left to say about the plot my last note (laughs) was just stark saying and as stevie ray would have said Kelowna was as wrong as man boobs. Yeah, very true. Everyone comes back to their body. Everybody lives other than Heath. Um, Zoe is a broken being. But Heath is reborn as a baby, so it's all good. Well, apparently. (laughs) Oh, this is my last note because it's just an interaction between uh, Stevie Ray and Rafaim, and it's just so awful. And uh, everyone's just woken up, and he says, My father returns. Stevie Ray says, so does Zoe, and for us, that means we cannot be together, he said. Stevie Ray felt sick and sad. She shook her head. No, Rafame, it only means that if you let it. Look at me, he cried. I'm not the boy in the reflection. I'm a beast. I don't belong with you. That's not what your heart says, she shouted back at him. I see. His shoulders slumped and he looked away from her. But Stevie Ray, my heart has never mattered. me. When will my reflection show who I am inside? Yeah, so final thoughts. I'm done. I can't. Final thoughts. My final thoughts are that... I don't know. I was entertained. I was less entertained than other books in the series. I would say if you are reading along with us, I know some people are actually genuinely reading this series along with us. Uh, If you have to skip one, this would be the one to skip. There's not much here that I think they would be bringing back in the later books. But um, if you have 
time and a lot of willpower, then it's it's inter- it's entertaining. I would give this one a negative rating if I could. <laughs> The only positive thing I can think of is at least we didn't get, like, uh, the normal explanation of Shawnee and Aaron that we always get, where yes. we're describing Shawnee as, like, a mocha chocolatey goddess mm-hmm. or whatever they normally say. Yeah. So, I guess there's that. And we had less homophobia in this book, which is, like, a positive, I suppose. Um, I mean, there wasn't, but they had, like, long conversations I, yeah. about it. <laughs> It, I guess I guess what I mean is there was less than normal, but it was still present. Mm-hmm. So there's like not really a it, there's really not a positive. My book recommendation for this week is a little bit different, and I don't even really know how I would categorize this book because it was so strange. Um, it's Bunny by Mona Awad. I'm just going to read the description of it because I don't even really know how to put this book into words. Samantha Heather Mackey couldn't be more of an outsider in her small, highly selective MFA program in New England's Warren University. A scholarship student who prefers the company of her dark imagination to that of most people, she is utterly repelled by the rest of her fiction writing cohort, a clique of unbearably twee-rich girls who call each other Bunny, and seem to move and speak as one. But everything changes when Samantha receives an invitation to the Bunny's fabled smut salon and find herself inexplicably drawn to their front door, ditching her only friend Ava in the process. As Samantha plunges deeper and deeper into the Bunny's sinister yet saccharine world uh beginning to take part in ritualistic off-campus workshop where they conjure their monstrous creations the edges of reality begin to blur soon her soon her friendships with ava and the bunnies will be brought to a deadly collision the spellbinding new novel from one of our most fearless blah 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 Oh, Bunny is a down-the-rabbit-hole tale of loneliness and belonging, friendship and desire, and the fantastic and terrible power of the imagination. This book was a fucking trip. The entire- That summary was a fucking trip. I thought you had told me about this and you just read that and I was like, no, you you did not tell me about this. I don't think- I don't think we've talked about it, but it was just- this book is so- bizarre because the entire time you're trying to figure out what's real and what's not because there's some like mystical elements to it there's some points where you're like you kind of have an unreliable narrator as well so you're trying to figure out like what's going on in her head and then you're trying to figure out what the what the fuck is going on with the bunnies and what they're doing with these rituals and if the rituals are real and what if what's coming of the rituals is a real thing that's happening and it just the whole thing is a mind fuck but it was so good and it's a weird coming of age story so anyways, I strongly recommend it. Uh, I gave this a four out of five. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I see myself going back and reading this again. I listened to it on tape and the audiobook was very good. So I would recommend that. Um, but yeah. That's my I mean, I'm intrigued. I'm interested. I want to check it Do out. Do it. It's a f- if you want a book that is just a fucking trip, this is the book for yeah, you. I might, I might need that right now. My non-book recommendation is also a little bit weird in a different way um in just that this isn't something i've ever seen in the podcast medium before but uh if you've ever heard me speak you know how much i love lauren shippen and everything she does so somehow um, i knew that that was who you were going to mention (laughs) (laughs) there's like there's a list of people and it rotates but like she's definitely at the top she's up Um, there yeah lauren shippen produced 
the Bright Sessions, uh, the College Tapes, the AM Archives, all those spinoffs, um, and also uh, runs or created Atypical Artists, which has produced a few other podcasts. I haven't listened to all of them. I was putting this one off because it sounded so kind of niche and out there. It's called In Strange Woods, and let me just read you the summary. So, after a tragedy in the Whitetail National Forest, 18-year-old Peregrine Wells seeks out survivalist skills from an enigmatic old recluse. In this fictional documentary musical with an original folk pop score, listeners will follow producer Brett Ryback as he explores themes of grief, adolescence, and our precarious relationship to the wilderness. All set against a sleepy northern Minnesota town reeling from a loss of innocence, it will never get back. So I, I mean, I love everything that she's done so far, but I read a fictional documentary musical and that was like, it seemed like a step too far. Right. (laughs) But I, I saw people talking about it. It got really good reviews. And then I realized it only has uh, five episodes, I think, for a total of like three and a half hours of content. So it's like a really long movie. And I was like, okay, I can handle that. And oh my god, I was so impressed just at the way, because when you think musical, I mean, music and then the staging and the dance numbers, like they seem like inextricable from each other. But the way that she was able to do that in just an audio format, but it's still somehow so visual, I was really impressed. Um, it's The soundtrack is very good. If you listen to the first episode and you're not sure how you feel about the songs, that's fine. The first intro song is a little bit mm, meh. Um, but there's at least three songs. They released an ensemble cast soundtrack and there's at least three of them. I I bribed my sister with food and then I would like take her in the car with me. So we were driving so that I could play this podcast and like force her to listen to it effectively. And then she got really into it and started listening on her own. Um, but we, the soundtrack has been stuck in our head for at least a month now. Um, it's very emotional. I wrote a full on essay about it just comparing uh, like two or three of the characters that were really good foils for each other. So if anyone listens to this podcast and wants to talk to me about it, I have a lot of feelings (laughs) and thoughts. It emotion, this, this podcast destroyed me. I've been thinking about nothing else since I listened to it. Um, So 10 out of 10 would recommend don't be thrown off by the, the fictional music part of it. Um, It's very good. It sounds like a good time. Don't forget the next week, or I'm sorry, not next week, but our next episode is Paranormalcy by Kirsten White. Oh, so if you want to read along with us, make sure you uh, you read that first, because that is the book that we're discussing. Dis- discussing, not discussing. Disgusting. <laughs> uh, yeah, follow us on social media. Follow us on Twitter at worst thng we read, uh, Instagram at worst thing we read, and send us an email at worst thing we read at gmail.com. Uh, follow us on Goodreads. Our ads are in the description box. And with that, we will see you next week. Not with our eyes, but with, with our, our mouths. mouths.